from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with queen of quickly changing the subject when things don't go his way, Chris Prunty, along with our continued mm-hmm. special guest, Daniel Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, how are we today? Fantastic. Uh, Well, on today's episode, a listener really wants us to talk about something that's not incredibly dark. So we're going to be venturing into the world of solar punk, where hopes and dreams and everything light is actually going to be the prevalent theme. Something that I think is actually going to be kind of difficult for us, all things considered. Uh, But let's get into the email. Jason sends us a very intelligent and creative email that says, I've just recently caught up to the most current episode of World Build with us, and I've enjoyed every moment of it. The ideas that you spin together off the top of your heads are both impressive and inspiring. I've even had several moments of inspiration from my own stories and worlds just by listening, and I want to thank you for being both entertaining and thought-provoking. Well, The Land of a Thousand Mods was certainly a fun and unique take on the cyberpunk genre. It, like many other ideas, strayed a bit more on the depressing and darker sides. While there is nothing wrong with exploring those themes, especially when you make them so entertaining to do so, it's not everyone's cup of tea. So I would like to propose a bit of a challenge for you. For your next setting, why don't you try something a little bit more uplifting? A place where stories like Slice of Life, Whimsy, and Hope are the prevalent themes. The perfect genre of this type of setting, in my opinion, would be solar punk. A future opposite of the thousand mods where clean energy, little waste, abundant resources, and a love of plant life abound. Perhaps this is an alternate path the world could have taken after the apocalypse that caused the future of a thousand mods in the first place. Alternatively, Daniel's religious steam vent dwellers could have found a seed vault and successfully revitalized the world. Now, while I challenge you to stick to the uplifting themes, I understand that all places and settings have their own darkness. Things like heartbreak, loss, and failure could work well as foils to themes present in such upbeat setting. But I know you all like to subvert things and put a twisted spin on your worlds. So when you do decide to add some gruesome elements, perhaps you can make them a little bit less dystopian and more mystical or mysterious. Things like The Legend of Sleepy Hollow or Over the Garden Wall, which aside, I'm breaking, I apologize, but that is such a great reference. Over the Garden Wall is like, such a perfect little mini series and it's so good and not nearly enough people know about it. Oh, anyway, I remember that. It's so good. The songs are great. The aesthetic is amazing. Everything's awesome. What? Sorry, Chris, what'd you say? Adventure Time guy? No, it just has a similar Cal art aesthetic. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Also the new, uh, the new, uh, show that is by the Adventure Time guy. I'm not a fan of. I would actually not recommend it. Midnight Gospel. It's it's on Netflix. It's called Midnight Gospel. I think. Oh. Um, it's really just a podcast between that. That's like an interview series, which is okay. But it's like, oh, this is not what I was expecting at all. And I'm like, it's all right, but I I'm just not a fan of it. And anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Over the Garden Wall would be great examples of adding a bit of horror to a hopeful genre while still keeping it whimsical. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Thanks again for such an amazing podcast that's inspired me to create bigger and better worlds. I hope you're all well and looking forward to the next episode. Sincerely, Jason. P.S. Perhaps this solar punk world can be called the Land of a Thousand Pots. After all, you'll need a lot of them to plant everything everywhere. Uh, so yeah, that is in fact, as you've clicked on this title, you've noticed that is, that is in fact the title of the podcast is land of a thousand pots. So yeah, obviously that's what we're going with. Um, Yeah. Uh, and, and Jason, thank you so much for your email. That's, it's really awesome. I'm actually really excited to get digging into this particular setting. Um, and if you do want to send your own, you know, setting idea or your own, show topic you can always send that to worldbuildwithus at gmail.com and we will definitely read it uh not sure well hold on and we'll definitely read it and get back to you one way or the other and so anyway I, I'm, I'm i'm a little excited to get into this who wants to go first what oh god damn it let's start that trailer so i'm excited to get into this episode uh the breakdown like all of our kind of premise episodes are going to be we're each going to introduce 
three things into the world that are definitely true. And uh, who wants to go first? So I, I think it might make sense to talk a little bit about what solar punk is um, as a genre, um, only because it's a relatively new genre. Yeah, I'm I'm Lex. I'm less familiar with like solar punk texts for sure. Daniel, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so I, you know, I'm not super familiar with particular works in solar punk. Um, so I did a little bit of reading on the genre, and it seems like there's actually three of these optimistic genres out there um, that have all kind of come into fruition in the past ten years or so. That's um, three too and- many. Yeah, right. <laughs> and <laughs> for so they're called noble bright hope punk. And solar punk, right? Um, and from what I understand, they're all variations, really, of um, utopian literature. And utopian meaning like it's not perfect, but it's essentially a good thing. You know, the, the society or the world is essentially good. And so we're telling stories that have to do with kind of an ethos or like some morality that comes from the writer. Um, so just really quickly, um, you know, solar punk, just like Jason was saying, obviously has like this positive outlook on climate change. Um, and there's like, you know, a balance of human nature and or human humanity and technology. And then there's like environmentalism. So those are like the main components of solar punk. Um, for Hope Punk and Noble Bright, they're kind of similar. Um, so I was looking for what's really the, the difference between the two. Um, but it sounds like Noble Bright, the, 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 at the bare minimum, you have people, individual people who can make a difference in the world and you can have happy endings. So that's like the big thing about Noble Bright. It's, it was apparently a response to like the grim dark of um, Warhammer. Um, so, you know, shows like uh, She-Ra or Adventure Time, you know, you've got individuals who can stand up and, and make change in the world. Whereas Hope Punk is more about um, there's this, there may be an oppressive force in the world and the world's like imperfect, but we can perpetually fight against it. So like the utopia or the happy ending of Noble Bright isn't possible for Hope Punk, but you're always continually fighting for the possibility of a better world. So something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or like Angel, where it ends with them, you know, marching off into the final battle or even Pacific Rim, you know, where you're bringing together a lot of people to fight this greater force. And so you're always trying to make the world better. So that's the three genres. And I think like if we pull from those themes, we'll probably get close to what Jason's looking for. Absolutely. Uh, that is, that that's actually pretty exciting because I mean, I, I as, as much as we talk about dystopian futures and everything like that, I am in general a pretty hopeful person. Like I think that there is an inevitability where kindness will win. It's just that, when it comes to what I explore in fantasy settings, I mean, it's like what I always talk about. The best thing to fight against is evil and like really oppressive evil at that. And so why not, you know, like present that to be like, yeah, go fight that bad guy, you know, that type of thing. Although as we've talked about, you know, kind of, I do tend to stray on the depressing side a little bit. But, you know. <laughs> hey, you gotta have Palpatine, right? I, yeah. Big Papa Palps every, every day, all day. I will say, though, that, like, for, for for Chris and I's sake, like, the granddaddy of all um, utopian fiction, at least for me, has got to be Star Trek. Oh, yeah. The Perfect Gene Roddenberry theory. stuff, yeah. Yeah. For sure. He, look, I, I'm, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not even a Star Trek fan. But I also understand that that is, like, humanity's best sense of a utopia, for yeah. sure. At least before Deep Space Nine. <laughs> well, even Deep Space and Nine has a good message, you know. Um, but the card does not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so enough Trek talk for now. Uh, who, so Daniel, you, you, do you want to go, do you want to go first for your idea? Uh, sure. Um, so like, I'm thinking about this kind of a world. I was thinking, well, you know, the, one of the big questions you'll have is like, how do you govern it? Um, so I don't know what we're going to decide, like whether this is a planet or it's a nation or, or a galaxy or whatever it is. But I was thinking maybe in this world, there are some people who um, are born um, or maybe they're you know, created in some way um, who have so much empathy that per- like randomly and periodically, um, they actually swap bodies with um, people who have the most suffering in the world for a short time. And these people are the ones who are appointed to rule over whatever society we end up making. That's oh. really cool. So is are, is that kind of suggesting like a um, like a Buddha type journey, you know, or like a Siddhartha type journey where, you know, you have the richest person who then sheds all of that to go experience what it's like to be the poorest person available that or the poorest person. Exactly. Around. 
Yeah. Yeah. So like they, they kind of like live secluded from society, but every now and then because they're given this benefit of so much empathy, they're pulled into other people who have the worst situation. That's really cool. I, I really like that. Also, this isn't one of my, I, this isn't one of my like primaries, but when you said you weren't sure if we were doing a planet or a country or whatever, yeah. I suddenly wanted to do like a, a federation of stars or like a, a federation Ooh. of planets, you know, like, because it, yeah, yes. <laughs> but, not, but not like a Starfleet or anything like that, yeah. but, but something okay. along the lines of it, something to denote that there's an interconnectivity between planets and stuff like that. I think okay. that'd be kind of fun. So then maybe um, like these people, like there's one on a planet, one per planet, and they get pulled to different um, planets. And collectively, though, they have to govern the whole. Yeah, I actually have no plans for governance. So that's <laughs> I mean, that's that's totally fine for me. And also, I like the idea that the people with the most empathy are the ones who are in charge, you know, like yeah. that's hopeful even. Well, that's <laughs> my goal. That was my goal. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it is the novel concept. You're right. Yeah, okay. and I, I wanted to call them the people behind the veil. Cool. I do have something that I wanted to be like a core founding of this, but I wasn't sure if it would have been depressing. I thought it was <laughs> hopeful. Uh, Let, and... Let's hear it. Let's let's hear what you think is hopeful. Oh Jesus! Uh... <laughs> is this going to be another hour where we sit down and like have therapy with Chris? Is this going to be another one of those? Do 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 do. <laughs> let's learn about chris today everyone <laughs> it's great one of our listeners is just my therapist i vemo her every now and then and she sends me <laughs> the basis of the world what i came up with uh with talking about recycling and kind of uh learning from our mistakes i thought of a world that was in fact a simulation really yeah and it is something that we did to ourselves after a catastrophic event rather than wait for us for the for the world to heal for things to move on and for us just to release ourselves we have allowed the planet or whatever to heal and this is kind of like our species timeout box where we have to learn from our mistakes oh and that's so cool we're just kind of repeating these cycles uh like it's still the inhabitants just living through a multitude of lives and experiences. And every time the idea is that when they eventually get released, they'll have all that experience. They'll have all that knowledge of, I lived a hundred lifetimes. I lived in a utopia. I need to try and make it here. Wow. Well, that sounds really cool because like, if I was thinking of how I tie it together with my own, maybe the people like who are behind the veil are the ones not in this virtual reality. So they kind of have to dip in and out. Well, so they're maintaining what's going on with like, the system that's keeping this virtual reality in place while the world heals, but they've got to still keep in touch with the people who are living in the reality. So they're like Neo, but they're not rebelling against robots. They're just hunting yeah. the machine. Like inverse Neo, basically. Mm. And and the reason that they have so much empathy is because they are aware of what the actual world is like. Yeah. That kind of like thing. They, oh, they're yeah. programmers of it, maybe. Yeah. Well, no, no, but I'm, I'm talking about the real world, you know? Oh, like oh, oh right. Yeah, because it's yeah. all been ruined. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're, they're one of the few people who know, like, this is what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to repeat itself. So let's go ahead and try and, you know, get this over with. Oh, man. Oh, that's okay. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I was worried um, that that would be depressing with the whole destroyed planet. No, I think it makes sense because it's about perpetually making the world better. So the world's healing. It's not like in a bad state. We're yeah. trying to heal it from what we did to it, you know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's good to acknowledge that this evil does in fact exist and that we're actively fighting against it. You know, mm -hmm. like that is, I think, a, an important message if we're going to be going for this kind of hopeful future. Well, well, that that kind of actually, I'm not really sure how this is going to tie into one of my tenets that I have here, mm -hmm. but. I had this idea that all technology or the primary method of technology is essentially genetically modified plants. Oh, I so, love that. Yeah. I mean, if I was thinking like really lush greens and trees and stuff like that, where mm -hmm. all the plants are bred for specific purposes and because it's like scientific, like it's scientific meddling in the best way possible because everything is essentially an, an entirely natural uh, you know, and green method of doing so. 
I mean, we can make that work with Chris's thing because maybe it's not like a virtual, maybe it's a virtual reality, but it's virtual in the sense that it's like plants creating an induced like hallucin- hallucin- hallucinogen for the entire planet. Or uh, it could be just like our real world is a simulation. Wake up. Well, actually, what I was thinking is uh, th- there's been some real advancement in terms of how we understand how, how plants work and how forests work. Like we, we always used to think that plants were essentially just individual creatures with their own roots and everything like that, or organisms, I should say. But we've understood recently that there is this kind of underground system where fungus acts as a connector to multiple trees. Like there was a study done where there, if there were one type of tree on its own, it would not thrive nearly as well as if there were a biodiverse culture. Like there was a specific second tree that made that like the pairing between the two of them made the ecosystem much stronger and the trees much healthier as a result. So if we talk about the idea of interconnectivity, I think that we could talk about this idea that there is some kind of technology that we are currently not aware of where we finally master this interconnectivity. I mean, again, if we want to talk about that type of theme of, of, you know, togetherness and collectivism, I think that we look at plants as a good basis for that. Uh, I think that's so cool because that makes sense. Like, and it's a different way of looking at technology now. And and in terms of rendering it for like the story or the fiction, like you'll have really fun ways of rendering it if it's all like plant life. Yeah. And I, I think aesthetically as well, I mean, I'm thinking of like just giant lush forests and stuff like that, you know, where it's basically Fern Gully if Fern Gully didn't suck, you know? <laughs> Whoa. I like the best look the best thing about fern gully is is uh texas who the villain oh yeah i actually i was gonna just call him uh tim curry but yes (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) daniel the fact that you know that villain like is kind of surprising and a little disturbing i love fern gully really that's hilarious oh my god (laughs) Um, oh, is that is 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 ne- is Neverending Story Hope Punk or Noble Bright? I don't. I guess know. it's Noble Bright. It could be. Oh, I mean, weird. Yeah, because yeah. I guess they triumph and there's yeah. a happy ending at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, cool. Sorry, it's a divergence. <laughs> no, no, no. That's our entire podcast is a fucking divergence. <laughs> oh no! I shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done what? Apparently, there's Rule 34 of Hexus. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that live on the podcast? Well, that's never any story. I wanted to see there. what he looked like, and it was just there. Oh. Is it just Tim Curry? <laughs> no, no. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You know what? No. I'm going to just horrible. roll into my second Straight point. Horrible. No. Speaking <laughs> of villains, okay? I, I, have to do, I have to do a two-parter on mine because it's important. Okay. Um. So the, the, the main idea that I had when it comes to conflict and everything like that, uh, or, or at least like the main, the main values of this world and, and culture that we're kind of creating here, I wanted to make it so uh, the culture values art and love as their highest and most honorable pursuits. And I mean like a romantic type love as well. So it's like a, a bringing together of people is one thing that they find to be is one thing that is most valuable to this culture. And so I wanted to say that the worst thing that can happen to someone in this setting is you can break their heart or you can ruin their creativity. Oh, nice. Like that is, that is the absolute worst thing that can happen. So I'm, I'm like even thinking that you can take out catastrophic death or something like that, that that's something that cannot happen in this particular setting. And I think having a, I I think having Chris's simulation might actually help with that in some way. You know, like we have the technology and everything like that, that can help explain why it doesn't happen, but also it's, there's some manipulation behind the screen as well, you know? Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. Like getting rid of the typical, um, because I mean, I imagine if this is a 
like like a, a virtual reality where resources and such are provided for it's kind of post scarcity so we're not really worried about the basic stuff like you know starving or war or death like you're saying because they're living in the simulation um you know that's run by whatever plant entity this is so then what else do we have to worry about it's the same sort of things that we worry about in star trek which is our careers you know and our productivity and our creativity that's that's exactly where i wanted to go with it as well you know like because the the main question is where does conflict come from at that point right where you already have all the resources and because there's such an emphasis on the collective on you know coming together well what what's the heart what's the hardship then you know like how do you create strife and conflict and it's through romantic you know conflict you know where i imagine that some of the bigger i mean here's the thing actually this is going to be an aside i've been really into actually you know it's not going to be an aside fuck (laughs) i've been really into this anime recently called sing yesterday for me and it's essentially just like a kid or, or, or not even a kid. It's like a, it's a person who's just out of college trying to figure out his life and also getting into all sorts of romantic entanglements. And honestly, that's kind of what I had in mind when I was thinking about like, this is the worst thing that can happen. And this is the drama that we're going to experience is, you know, how you connect with someone and how meaningful is that connection and the connections that you make. That's kind of what I was going with. Mm-hmm. So relationships is like currency. It's not currency, Daniel. That's just sinister. Like now, <laughs> now we're getting deep, deep I away from. <laughs> I don't mean it in a monetary sense. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that um, in a sense, the romantic levels, or in a sense, the connections that you have with people are more valuable to you than anything else because everything else is con- is. is taken care of so you have two pursuits essentially you have you can pursue the romantic you can pursue the creative and those in this society anyway are are very valuable they're they're like oh that is how we look at people and be like hey that person has a deep and loving and caring relationship that's that's a person i can respect and also it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic i just realized i i came at this thing as in a romantic sense but it can't just be like hey this person is very friendly and has connections and has deep and meaningful, intimate relationships. Well, like platonic, like loyalty, you mean like, and yeah. faithfulness to other people. Yeah. And also, but, but that doesn't necessarily have to be like despotic in a way, you know, like where it's, Oh, this person, you know, has fealty for me, but it's a matter of, no, it's not fealty. It's kinship. It's, it's connect. It's connection. It is something like I feel so strongly towards this person because we share a bond to, of togetherness. It's family yeah. almost. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I think even like I have, I have, I'm a freelancer, right? So I have other freelancers I work with who are really, I've worked with for many, many years. And so I have a really close relationship to, to them. And even though we're like bound together by the pursuit of like profit, there's this, this fealty to each other in the sense that we're not going to screw each other over and we care about how we end up performing that kind of, you know, bond. Yeah. Bonds. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. Bonds. Absolutely. Bonds is what I'm looking for. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to go early again. I apologize, but. (laughs) Burn them all out. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just get it all out there, but it actually, because I I thought of the villain for this setting first and then kind of retroactively did it, but I have the bad guy for the setting. I have the, I have the evil one uh, because I wanted to, kind of get that out of the way and it is an interdimensional being who can only come to people in their dreams Mm -hmm. Uh, he is the breaker of hearts and the eater of imagination he is the man in gray the man in the top hat and i like to think of him as a collective nightmare where you know you might have a bad dream every now and again but it doesn't become horrifying until you describe it to someone and they say wait a minute I had that dream. I had that same character in the dream. I had this, I know that person that you're talking about. And this is, this is my villain. This is the one who is like, Hey, he, he's, he's in charge of breaking hearts. He's in charge of destroying creativity. And the way that I wanted to do it is I wanted to make it. So he doesn't do anything directly. He's more of an influence more than anything else. He, mm-hmm. he only leads to self-destruction, right? 
if you listen to that part and yeah, that's it, it, But again, it's, it's kind of like a, a symbol of man's collective brutality as well. Mm-hmm. But also I just wanted to make him a weird inter- interdimensional, like nightmare monster. I like that because he's, he's not like an active force. He's really like making us make bad decisions at the end of the day. So it's not like you've got this villain running around doing terrible things. Um, he's more like the t- a temptation to make us make the wrong choice. Absolutely. And and obviously, I think that he lays influence on a little bit thicker with some individuals, you know, over others. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I had that in mind where it's he's very subtle in his manipulations a lot of the time. And you said he's a man in gray. Yeah, I just had him like imagine being like a very thin, tall man with a top hat, someone who kind of has to lean forward and stuff like that. I, I just like totemic images and because this is actually what we can do as well, because everything else in the world is so green and lush with like technology and plants and everything like that, having him come off as like a weird grayscale, where almost like he's made out of the static on old TVs, you know, like oh, that's like what that. he's made of. of. It, it also shows that there is some kind of like offness to him compared to the rest of the setting. I think I can riff off of that um, with another Go one. Um, so I, th- I was thinking like, so I'm thinking back to, to what Chris was saying, that this is kind of an oasis that's rebuilding um, in while humanity kind of sleeps. And now we've got this entity outside of that, that influences them to make bad decisions. So I'm thinking, well, what, what's the punishment for people who do do bad things in this, in this reality? So I thought maybe the only punishment that can be fair is exile. So if for whatever crimes there are, the only punishment is exile. So people are exiled from this, this reality or this oasis back into the world that's still healing. So what if, um, what if that villain, um, he appears to people in the reality as this interdimensional like force, but what if he is an exile or was an exile? And so his influence is coming from the world of ruin, like literally. Oh, okay. 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 Hold I like on. That. I, I like that idea a lot and I'm going to expand on it. Okay. He is an exiled um, seeker of the veil. Oh, so, like an empath. Yeah. So, so yeah. he's a, he's a broken empath who oh. is like, you know, like the, 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 the veils, they can all kind of see what the world actually is. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is one who can do that. But instead of deciding to try and make humanity better, He's the one who's influencing things for the bad. Oh, nice. Okay. I love it. That nails it. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously like the way that he comes into, wait a minute, are are the seekers of the veil, are they just gods like to, to the people within the Um, simulation? The way I wanted it to be, I I didn't want them to be different than other people. Like I wanted certain people to be either born with or distilled with this special empathetic power and they're taken care of like, in maybe a separate part of, the compound but they're the curse for having that power is you have to swap places with someone who suffers so you're seeing into the world of, you know so I, I want them to be regular people it's just that because otherwise the you know like the, the, the he i don't i wouldn't want if he's going to be like this exile who is one of them i wouldn't want him to be innately evil because i think that runs against noble bright that even the villains can be redeemed so I there agree. must be something wrong with him right and i, I the more that i think about it the more that i think that if you create if you turn them into gods then you make it more difficult for people to aspire to be that level of empathy yeah. or to have that level of empathy in a way. So yeah. I think it makes a lot more sense that we do kind of keep them grounded. Plus I just kind of like the idea like that this particular, you know, broken empath, you mm-hmm. know, the man in gray, he, he, he just is broken in his own way, but, and he's taking that out on people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he has some reason for it, you know, that we don't know about. Yeah. Well, we'll, we will do that. But also what I, again, I, I do want to emphasize the fact that I don't want people to be murdered or like yeah. die by his hand, because I think that there's been a lot of conversation recently around the idea that there's this idea of the redeemable villain, mm-hmm. but the acts that he does are truly irredeemable. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm sorry. I murdered like 7,000 people, <laughs> but I had a sad backstory. So it's all cool. Right. And then, right. People are just like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, no, I want it to be like, hey, you know, I just made people make bad decisions and there's no 
totally lasting consequence for that. It just hurts in the moment and hurts for a while, you know, that type of thing. I mean, he may have some mission that's in opposition to um, the mission of healing the world. And maybe he thinks what he's doing is correct. And maybe what the inf- the reason why he's making people mag- make bad decisions is so that this whole simulation ends or maybe like the, the, the project ends. And I don't know why, but that would make sense. Um, I have an maybe. idea. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, uh, and, and this is taken from Star Trek, but it's easy to be a saint when you're in paradise. And his entire point is, I can still tempt people. The simulation isn't proving anything. It's easy to be perfect when there's nothing truly on the line. Yeah, I'm taking people out of it because the only way we're going to learn is if we're doing it with real consequence. Mm. That's, that that's actually kind of where I was. I wanted to go with it, where he sees himself as a necessary evil. Like this yeah. is part of the process. That's, but that's, that's a way smarter way than that. I was going to put it. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've rambled on long enough. What, what other ideas do you guys have? What, what other tenets of the world do we have here? Mine is more of a thematic kind of thing that I wanted to do that I sometimes like in uh, sci-fi. I wanted it to be where, for whatever reason, and maybe it's a hard limit in the simulation, maybe it's just uh, there's technology that's grown against it, kind of like in Dune, but uh, melee weapons are pretty much the weapons people use. No one's big about ranged weapons or guns. Can, can I take that a step further? Because yeah. I, I would like to take that idea and be like, well, why are they using weapons in the first place, right? And then I, I think that there is a way, and honestly it's because they're ceremonial more Mm -hmm. than anything else. It's kind of like a display or like it's, it's their, their outlet for creativity is through this expression of martial prowess or dance even, but it's like, it's not violent and it's not inherently violent essentially. Right. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a practice Um, like um, the, almost like a martial art in the sense that it's done not just for maybe for self-defense, but also like for exercise and for, you know, understanding um, how to be in tune with nature. If you want to go like the kind of cliched route, because maybe it involves like traveling through the crazy underbrush of this like virtual jungle, you know, so you've got to be able to traverse it and having some physical strength through these melee weapons and tools is part of that. Yeah, that's cool. And, and, uh, plus I think that we could probably do something like have the weapons all be deeply ceremonial, you know, and representative of certain ideals and strengths and stuff like that. Yeah. I like that. I mean, maybe the weapons themselves are like living things like they're, maybe they're plant life of some kind. Oh, that's super cool. Like you have to cultivate your own. I mean, that actually kind of ties in with my, everything is a GMO, right? Yeah. Where, Imagine that you have to cultivate your weapon in order for you to get good at it. Like maybe by cultivating it, you get a closer connection to the earth. Yeah. My bonsai is a redwood. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> that one's what did you say? I said my bonsai is a redwood. <laughs> I don't think Daniel knows what a bonsai is, but I, I did laughing and loved it. <laughs> yes. I, I, I assume it's sexual. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It was a polite laugh at best. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's actually pretty cool. What what do you think about that, Chris? I don't want to take that away from you because like, what is that kind of what you had in mind or what, what do you think? Yeah, I I just wanted to have something about uh, like, even if it's ceremonial or anything, you could still have it be where uh, like in the, perfect world kind of thing kind of like how gi joes wouldn't shoot bullets at each other they would shoot lasers uh he-man they all had swords but when the when the hell did anyone even get cut (laughs) right they barely used them they were techno swords yeah to be fair you're also thinking about the 80s ones where it's like yeah the the newer i'm pretty sure the newer he-mans do show like Mm -hmm. a little bit more like i've seen this the origin of skeletor the the new oh yeah it is grizzly so oh my god can we talk about the greatest movie ever made though by human beings uh i'm is it is it pacific rim it's masters of the universe the live action he made greatest movie ever made i stand by that it is a class s above an a i will watch it forever and i love it 
Okay, as long as, <laughs> we, we, to be fair, we have established that trash is the best genre. So, right. So yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I will accept that as your reality, Daniel. Excellent. Not mine. Okay. No, but I'm originally part of the idea that I had was like uh, to go from Dune, kind of like how they had to do that weird knife battle, slow oh, yeah. stab through the shield. I was mm. thinking maybe. Uh, something that just keeps people alive like not in the like you could do the gross body horror where like oh you cut off a limb it regrows but maybe people just go all right so the only way to really win in a fight is to knock you out with a hammer or like not brutally but just kind of like boom well i i think my my pushback on that would be why are people fighting in the first place because in the setting that I have in my mind, that's not something that people would necessarily do. Mm-hmm. We could we could make it work in the sense that um, so like I think like I I like to do boxing right, and when you're fighting with someone, it's not an aggression thing that you're doing. Like it's actually about self control. So I wonder if um, the fighting they do with these melee weapons is about learning how to control themselves and thus like be in control of their environment. So like especially since the plant you know is is connected to the earth, it's alive. So maybe they do kind of like a sparring more than it's actual fighting. And that's part of their culture. Yeah. Or maybe it's like a display of strength and skill yeah. type thing. Yeah. That's what like, I mean. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's not like when you, you it's not like they're fighting each other. It's more like, oh. Hey, watch what I can do with this. That, you know, like that is an impressive display. It's a dazzling display. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, you can cut, you know, the, the blade of grass into, you know, four even smaller slices, but I'm going to lift up this boulder and toss it over that mountain, that type of thing. Obviously those are very blunt ways of putting it, but that's kind of the idea that I'm having in mind. Well, we were also talking about how this might be on more than just a stage of like uh, one planet or anything, even if it's in inside a simulation, what if uh, you can still use a weapon for peace? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I and yeah. and that's kind of what we're getting at here. Yeah. Okay. Or uh, alternatively, rather than have it be a purely you know aesthetic kind of display, you could have this thing more what Daniel was saying, where it's like, hey, the you know you're you're sparring essentially, right? But nothing is ever violent, and yeah. maybe there's something to where, you know, there is a level of shame involved where. If if you do hurt someone, you know, accidentally, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, you're 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 looked at really poorly. I mean, that's that's even true in boxing. Like, if you yeah. hurt, if, like, let's say, I accidentally, like, hit them with the bottom of my glove, and I like hurt their nose, shatter their nose, I'd be really, you know, <laughs> ashamed of that because it means I lost control. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay, so we can we can do one of those ways for sure. Okay. I'm I'm I was pushing back on it, Chris, but I, I'm now sold. Thoroughly sold. <laughs> I'm also really thinking of uh, the monks from Kill Six Billion Demons. Which ones? Like the, a couple. That, that is a lot. <laughs> uh, the the ultimate pacifist monks that also have the most deadly martial arts. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Like Solomon David. Yes, yes. Yeah. By the way, if you're not reading Kill Six Billion Demons, <laughs> Google what Kill Six Billion Demons is, and you'll probably read it in like a weekend even though it's been going on for seven years, it's amazing and continues to be amazing. Everything um, about it. Everything about it. It's it, I, I want to do like a deeper dive on the podcast about how good the world building is and how unique everything is because God damn, it's, it's so good. Even though it's like clearly derivative of certain things, but like you don't even give a fuck because everything else is so brilliant and good. But anyway, I want to um, interview them. Ooh. I know. Abad- yeah. I mean, look, if anyone can get this to Abaddon, just let like let him know that we want to interview them. Like, please, that'd be awesome. Uh, anyway, oh, I thought uh, it was en- enough groveling. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's let's move on. Uh, are we? Did anyone not go yet? I have uh, yeah. number three. Um, yeah, number three. Go ahead. Yeah. So this could tie some more things up. Um, we talked about the interconnectedness of plants that we didn't know about in the past. Um, and I had this uh, s- statement that was basically the connectedness of the world has made it such that there's no longer a meaning to distance. So I wanted to like unpack that. 
So I'm thinking, and we're still going with the concept that this is on multiple planets, right? So if that's the case, maybe the um, the regenerative uh, awakening that's happening to heal the world in each of these worlds or wherever um, is because the plants themselves are not just connected to each other within a planet. They're actually connected to each other across distances in space. So the plant life that we know of, we didn't understand that it's actually um, alien in the sense that it's connected across planets. So it's now it's not only possible to be in your re- this little virtual reality where they're healing humanity, but they can travel to other planets through the the root networks that are you know intergalactic basically. It's universal, like yeah, you know we all think of like carbon life forms and everything like that, but the real universal life form is plant life, and that's yeah. that's pretty fucking cool, Daniel. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, and so like, you can the it's possible to awaken this healing process on any planet. Oh, so oh my God, Daniel, you're saying that. Hope can bloom anywhere. Yes, I literally. Am. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Oh, we got there. There you go, solar punk. Damn there. it! I had a solar joke, and now, now I can't. <laughs> do it, do it. Yeah, go ahead. Do you know what you have to do in solar punk? What? Go ahead. Right side. Oh God damn it! <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You should have saved that. Actually, you should have saved uh, it for later. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't think it would come up naturally. You could force it, I'm sure. <laughs> I do that too often. Uh, but, mm. <laughs> uh, Daniel, that sounds dangerously close to the spore drive. Oh, God, don't make me vomit in my mouth. <laughs> don't make me vomit in my mouth. You know, and that was stolen. I forget what that was stolen from, but it's stolen from really game. sci-fi. Oh, video game too? Oh, Lord. <laughs> don't get me started on Discovery. I cannot. I just can't. It is, you know, even I'll say, I'll say one thing and you send your hateful emails, Picard and Discovery and all the new Treks, you know why they're not Trek? Because they're not utopian fiction. And that's what Trek is. Okay. We could go into a long discussion about that. (laughs) And we won't. Ah! So you're saying that Discovery and Picard are like the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. They're the grimdark of, of, um, they're literally grimdark. That's what they are, which is not Star Trek. Yeah, they're not noble bright. No. All right, great. Uh, <laughs> I, he stopped uh, recording a minute ago, and <laughs> I feel I'm like this is the conspiracy. I feel like you guys got together before the podcast, and they're like, "This is how we're going to bring Star Trek into this yep, again." We did like multiple times. <laughs> noble bright and Star Trek is what I think of whenever yeah. someone says noble bright. Star Trek. I mean, like, I was just watching uh, Measure of Man. Remember that episode with with a data, and it's like, you know, no. So <laughs> I think this is important though, because it has to do with the whole three genres, right? Like, it's an episode where there's not any fighting, no one throws a punch. It's literally a bunch of conversations where they're trying to prove that Data is a human being and he deserves human rights, just like anyone else. That's the whole episode. It's a conversation, and that's important. Debate. Yeah, it's a literal debate. There's no fighting. It's all very cordial. They 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 take turns. His his own friend has to prosecute against him because they're trying to have a fair discussion, right? And that's at the heart of utopian ideas that we can come to conclusions without lifting swords and chopping each other's heads off, which is literally what happens in Picard. <laughs> the I, okay, so so I I, I want to I want to sit and appreciate the fact that that is I I also really love that type of storytelling. Where it does like it's not about throwing a punch, it's not about the action, it's about like the dialogue going back and forth, right? Yeah, like one of my favorite directors of all time is Alfred Hitchcock, and he, like, you, one of my favorite movies by him is Rope, and Rope is like literally just a dinner party in a conversation that goes back and forth, mm-hmm. but it's so tense. And there's like such, there's such like a buildup and like a thrill to the conversation. That's that I love it. Like I yeah. love stuff like that, right? There's an intellectual stuff that's at stake in that case, you know, and you don't have to resort to some base violence to get it across. But it's so much harder. It's mm-hmm. so much harder to create something that's genuinely intellectually stimulating that doesn't rely on, you know, like conflict and like big dumb explosions. Right. Like but, but and and like I don't mean to be dismissive of that type of fiction, but realistically it's it's it is actually 
harder to come up with conflict that doesn't involve like, hey, I'm going to punch you and you're going to punch me back. Right. right? Exactly. It, but, but honestly, I think that's kind of where it, the fun lies in certain fiction, you yeah. know, where it's like, oh, man, this is way more interesting than you know, that then a sword fight, you know, is the, is the verbal repartee between two people mm-hmm. or, or a genuine clash of ideals. And honestly, I think that in a lot of ways, physical confrontation in, in uh, certain genres is a representation of a clash of ideals, right? Like you're not crossing swords, you're crossing ideologies. And I think when you see that and when th- that makes for a much stronger version of conflict as opposed to, Hey, I'm punch you. You don't punch me back. All right, cool. We'll fight. <laughs> That's couldn't be better said. I agree. <sighs> okay. Um, what else do we have left? Is that it? Are we, are, have we emptied, have we emptied all the chambers? Did, did Chris do all three? I did all two. Oh, you gotta do a third one. Oh shit. Yeah, you gotta do a third one. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, let's let's help Chris come up with one live on the podcast. Do it. Yeah, go ahead. Do oh, it. wait. I'll, I'll leave the pauses in too. Go ahead. <laughs> well, could you tell us a little bit more about the um the the compound? That this virtual compound maybe? So, I I the idea of itself uh I got from a comic that I read like maybe 3 or 4 years ago at this point. Uh it was Saturday morning breakfast cereal, if you've ever heard it. Oh, yeah. And in it, it's where these aliens come across a monument, and it's saying, do not weep for us, for in our minds we are eternal. Mm-hmm. And there is just a digital vault where time is meaningless. They could live seven billion years in mere moments when it's digital. So... uh I just thought of that of how long would it take uh, mankind to learn its lesson? Oh, I love that. Interesting. But, uh, I guess it would still be a very hopeful story because like who decides when we're ready? Uh, is it us? Is it uh, the uh, people behind the veal? Is, did I say veal? You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> the people behind the veil. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. Now I'm just thinking of just the implications of the people behind the veal. God damn it. I was yeah. super into it. I was super into where he was going to. I know. <laughs> Big veal. <laughs> no, but uh, like what happens if this society, when it was like 95% ready, was released into the world? It would still be that bit of conflict. I, I think that would take you to like utopia star trek levels of where it's just like we're not perfect but damn it we're trying yeah so is q like the man in gray in a sense yeah Stop talking about star trek <laughs> i mean that's so, why q sent the borg at, at uh he at did yeah. to advance them and show them that you know they weren't the biggest person in the playground to be fair to Rob and non-Star Trek people, Hugh is kind of like a trickster god who actually cares about humanity and wants to make them better, but he's not above like possibly destroying them in the process. <laughs> okay. So so I think one of the most interesting questions that you brought up in that in that kind of conversation is who are the ones who decide when the simulation ends? Oh. Yeah. Maybe exactly. Maybe- I mean, part of the, this, not the decision, but part of, we know the process is complete, maybe not for humanity, but for the world is when it heals. Hey, wait a minute. I got a, I got a different idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe the man in gray is the one who decides. And so the mm-hmm. whole thing, the whole point is to convince him that humanity is ready. And every time another person becomes, you know, convinced by his temptations, he's like, oh, guess we're not ready yet. Okay. Maybe he isn't one man. Maybe he was an em- one empath who went wrong, but now he's part of a, a group that is trying to prevent it. You know, that is protecting the off switch in a sense. Uh, I see. Okay, I'm going to push back on that because I love the idea of a singular entity. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I think that 
maybe he's a collective in the sense that he's a collective consciousness. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, uh, but I don't want it to be where he is, you know, like, Oh, it's because part of the strength of his, his image is Mm -hmm. he is the same. Sorry. You, everyone sees the same figure. Oh, well, maybe then he appears to them. Like he, he, he uses the simulation to be a singular thing, you know? Right. But he's actually a collective consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can I can, I can support that. Yeah. All right. All right. Love it. Gentlemen, I feel pretty hopeful about where this series is going. What about you? Hey oh. <laughs> I'm excited. Once once Chris, I feel like once Chris when you you set up the 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 outside world that's in ruin and the world that's the, the sleeping humans that are healing, I'm like, okay, now I I can totally picture this. And then we made it like intergalactic or interstellar, like that just kicked it up a notch too. So like, I'm really super into it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, next episode where we get into like conflict and factions and stuff like that. I think that's yeah. going to be kind of interesting. Um, although, man, there's yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Although, like I said before, it is going to be very difficult because you know it's it's much harder to do intellectually stimulating back and forth conflict than I'm punch you. Did you hear that? Picard. <laughs> 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 His name's Shabon, I believe. Can you figure that? Um, oh, man. I, I, even, I, look, I don't watch Star Trek, but even I know Picard sucks because I watch the Red Letter Media uh, reviews. Oh, wasn't that amazing? And it like, told you how to feel. The, the one episode, the one episode where it's like, this is a 17 minute fight. And it's like, oh, that's dumb. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen a worse sci-fi than, than Picard, honestly. I don't think yeah. I have. I, I know that, look, I don't know like- nothing about nothing when it comes to Star Trek. I know that Star Trek should never have a 17 minute fight. <laughs> right? I know that. That just isn't right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Unless Worf is involved. Yeah, then it's fine. <laughs> and it's unless about I'm honor. Hearing, look, unless I'm hearing... Yes, exactly. It should never have it. And, and usually after the fight, Worf starts crying because he's in touch with his emotions, you know? <laughs> so Emotions. <laughs> Hey, do you other other dumb Star Trek things that I just so happen to know? Wasn't there that time that Worf got like struck by a flimsy barrel and got paralyzed, and then he wanted his son to kill him? Isn't that a thing that yes. happened? Yes, because they they don't know how to handle curing their wounded because they leave them to die honorably. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. God, I've I've seen that gif. I've seen the gif where it's like, look at that cardboard barrel that just crushes Worf's spine. Apparently, <laughs> it was filled with Tunson. Oh. <laughs> it was a Tunson barrel. <laughs> oh my! All right, that'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. I, I am very excited to kind of get into the meat and potatoes a little bit more of this world. It's it's interesting. It's definitely something that we're not used to. And I'm, I'm excited. Jason, thanks so much for suggesting this topic. And if you want to suggest your own topic or your own prompt or anything like that, you can always send us an email at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Or you can send us a tweet or a DM at Let's World Build on the Twitter machine. And... Yeah, I mean, that'll wrap it up for this week. Remember that we love you very much. Stay safe and look on the bright side. See, that's how you force it. That's how you force it.